0: For most Brian De Palma fans, the 1981 conspiracy thriller Blowout is in their top five, despite it not being one of his bigger films. Sure everyone loves Carrie and Scarface and the Untouchables, but Blowout is a deeper cut and marks a turning point in the thriller genre from that gritty 1970s era to the glossy high production values of the 80s and later on the 90s. Blowout is the story of a movie sound man a Foley artist, we would call him today, who inadvertently records the assassination of the Philadelphia governor, who is also a presidential hopeful. The film stars John Travolta as our hero, and this is post-Saturday Night Fever in Greece, and it also features Nancy Allen, John Lithgow, and Dennis Franz in supporting roles, all of whom worked with De Palma before. On today's pod, Adrian and I discuss our favorite scenes from Blowout, the careers to date for Travolta and De Palma, as well as the darker themes in Blowout and all of De Palma's movies. We also mourn the era of big Hollywood thrillers like All the President's Men, Three Days of the Condor, The Firm, and The Pelican Brief. Hollywood really doesn't make them like that anymore. I'm Swain Hunt. Adrian and I are here to let you know that death has a sound all its own as we play back the 1981 film Blowout, written and directed by Brian De Palma. It began with a sound
1: that no one was ever supposed to hear.
0: He's the one who saw Yes, he says he pulled the girl out of the car. I would like you to forget about her.
1: Yeah, that's what I heard just before the tire blew out. You're right, it was a shot. He recorded a murder. They say it never happened.
0: There's still loose ends, witnesses. The girl,
1: I've decided to terminate her. Terminate her. Terminate her. And the Palmas blowout. Now you hear it. Now you don't. First blood needs to be on the docket. The the first Rambo movie? Yeah, fortieth anniversary. Okay. You know Was that eighty two? Yeah, it was eighty two. Okay. Mhm-, okay, then spring that into how it transformed over the years and kind of got worse, like oh, I kinda
0: actually kind of got worse
1: bro, I, tried, <laughs> I tried to watch first blood part two uh the other day, right, and growing up as a child of the eighties, that was like my favorite, oh yeah, 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 I yeah. loved it, yeah, now it's like oh, uh, <laughs> it's terrible,
0: yeah, yeah, jeez yeah. And it's funny, like talking about that movie as it relates to Blowout. Mm -hmm. So, Blowout is 81. Yeah. First Blood is 82. 82. Yeah. But they both have, I mentioned this before, they both feel more like 70s movies than 80s
1: movies. Absolutely. All the aesthetics
0: Mm -hmm. are more 70s than they are 80s. It's only when you get past that first 82, 83, you know, that, that, that crossroad where all of a sudden the production gets glossier mm-hmm. and bigger and, and all of a sudden it's like get a big name to put them in the movie and you know, it's put funny. them on the poster.
1: 83 is is that turning point. Mm-hmm. Literally, 83 is the turning point because yeah. the movies totally look different. Right, Yeah.
0: right, mm-hmm. right. And everything, you know, all the stuff that has the 70s feel, you know, the color palettes are different. Boom. The music, like, the me- they st- like they're still yes. talking about
1: disco is... <laughs>
0: exactly, exactly. Like, that's the thing. That you get all the synth music and all of the, the music of the 80s starting to bleed into yeah. the soundtracks and even the needle drops, you know, where you're, you have your John Hughes and whatnot, where he's using needle drops. He's playing Oingo Boingo and he's playing, you know, uh Fine Young Cannibals and, and just all of this kind of stuff. He's playing needle drops <clears throat> and using them. But that was the thing about Blowout that... You know, in watching it, I was like, okay, because Pino DiNaggio, I think, is the oh, uh, yeah. did the score. Yes, sir. But like some of the score choices, I was like, that's a little weird for this scene, isn't it? Why are you playing a piano? Shouldn't it be tense here? Shouldn't it be whatever? But that was just old school, yes. romanticism, string quartets, and you know, and 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 piano interludes, and all of that. Everything had a romantic theme quality, as opposed to. Now, you know how they would just use the low-end piano to create that tension, you know, in in thrillers in the 80s, squarely Mm. in the 80s and going into the 90s. But what were you going to say?
1: I was going to say, you can also see the influence on Tarantino. I mean, that's one of the several of the things that he took, that he takes influence from this movie Mm -hmm. because it's like one of his favorites. Mm -hmm. His thing of like having the music kind of offset the scene, but it doesn't necessarily always... Fit. It, it's it's not a perfect fit, but it still makes the scene. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And I don't know. Like like this this movie is to me it's it's one of my favorites. Actually, it's probably my favorite De Palma. Is it? It is. Okay. And most people would be like, "Oh man, well, what about Scarface? What about what about
0: Scarface? What about Carrie? What about Dress to Kill? What about yeah. uh, even The Untouchables? Later on, Mission Impossible
1: One. You know? Sure, sure. Yeah. But it's something like this. I find that at my age, I'm really starting to respond to uh, artists who really put themselves out there. Mm -hmm. And in Blowout, De Palma is putting himself out there. Mm -hmm. We were talking on (laughs) text back and forth how De Palma, he's pervy. Oh, super pervy, dog. Absolutely. (laughs) You know, him trying to get this made today might be a stretch. But at the same time, it's like he acknowledges it. He owns it, and he makes the movie not only with that pervy side, but also other parts of his predilections. Like he's a big, you know, advocate of the JFK assassination. You know, well, okay. not an advocate, but kill that motherfucker. You mean he's a believer? He's a he's, yeah. a, he's a truther. As exactly, yeah. he's a believer in like the conspiracy, you know, or facets of that supposed conspiracy, mm-hmm. and that plays a part into this as well. Yeah. But then, speaking of Kennedy, you know, the whole car going off the wharf, that's Ted Kennedy Ted at Chappaquiddick. Chappaquiddick, yeah. Mary Jill Gopekny, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's just a lot that goes into here. Mm-hmm. And you can tell that it's personal. And, and, of course, the behind the scenes, if you will, it's a film about making a film about making a film using these techniques you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. in terms of you know here's how we would make sound here's how we use foley but then this sound engineer is using these techniques to try and put this together right you know on his own time right you know and so it's just i just find that that's so personal that i i always respond to it
0: yeah the meta quality of, like you said, the film about a film, mm-hmm. you know, and and, and and even the through line of uh, the, the the slasher film that uh, Travolta's character Jack is working on, you know, his pr- producer-director keeps saying, you, we got to get this screen, we got to get this screen right. Mm-hmm. And I didn't even see it coming that he was actually going to take the screen from Nancy Allen's character, Sally, later on and insert that in. I thought that was poetic. I didn't see it coming. You know, it's, it seems obvious to me now, but I didn't see it coming yeah. until
1: the very final frames of the, of the movie. But that's almost him being masochistic as well. That's like, I couldn't save her, so this is my penance forever. Right, right. Yeah. Right. And and I, to, to your point about this being one of your
0: favorite, or maybe even your favorite De Palma, It is my favorite. It is your favorite De See, I've never seen this all the way through. Oh, wow. You know how there are certain films that... Over time, you know, you see them on TBS on reruns, or somebody will have cable when you were a kid, and you go over their house and be playing, and you see bits and pieces of this movie. And over time, you almost feel like you've seen it, but you've never sat down and watched it from the rooter to the tutor. Yeah, and then you know, and then absorbed it as an entire piece. So I was, you know, it was available on on um, Prime, so I said, well, let me go ahead and and check it out since I'd never seen it. and I started watching it on the treadmill, and then I finished it up when I got home and and watched watched the rest of it when I got to the house, but. I really enjoyed it. Um, it wasn't as slow as I thought, as I remembered it being. You know, mm-hmm. the, when I saw it younger, maybe because I have a little more patience yeah. with uh, with films from the uh, from the era than I did earlier. And it could have just been also too because I just didn't sit down and watch it from the beginning. Mm-hmm. You know, so you can catch it in you know in sections. You're like, okay, why is this camera swirling around the room? Why do we see <laughs> fra- Travolta and in Now we're looking at the, all this, these reels, and now we see all these machines, and I swinging back around here. Why are we doing this? Why is the camera spinning
1: around?
0: You know, my less sophisticated eye, as a uh, you know, as a as a young you know young cinephile. But uh, for anybody who's never seen the movie, it's basically about a guy named Jack Terry, who's played by Travolta, and he is a uh, he's a sound technician. Says, we call him basically a foley uh, a, a foley artist today, yeah. but he records and uh, and he uh, uses sounds from libraries, you know, to insert into the movie. So someone's walking across the floor and if the, the mic doesn't pick it up the correct way, then they insert or dub in, you know, him, you know, creating someone walking across the floor or the wind or ocean sounds or a mm-hmm. uh, uh, car backfiring or a, a yes. gun going off apropos to yes, this to particular movie. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but it also stars uh, Dennis Franz, uh, John Lithgow and Nancy Allen, uh, aforementioned Nancy Allen. It was written and directed by De Palma. Yes. Mm-hmm. So this is a uh, this is him as the auteur. Yes. You know, uh, doing his thing. That was a nice thunderclap. There you go. Punctuation. <laughs> <to> punctuate it. <laughs> but before we talk about, really talk about the movie anymore, I, I do want to talk about De Palma and Travolta yes. first, because... I'm not necessarily a De Palma fan, mm. but I do have like Body Double is idle enough one of my favorites. Cause, really? Because it's just fun and dopey and goofy. It's super dopey. <laughs> it is. It is. <laughs> but I just liked it. And I guess, you know, during and during that time, you know, that was like the you know, the peak porn days, you know, video yeah, porn exactly, days or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but I really like Bob Body Double. I didn't like Scarface that much. Mm, interesting. Um, Dress to Kill, I was interested in because it was just so weird yes you know um and then um carrie i liked for uh, obvious reasons course, you know yeah.
1: uh, that was his you know his first feature film right mm, uh no no sisters sisters no yeah. in fact you can go back to hi mom and, hi mom <laughs> yes <laughs> <laughs> and okay. greetings yeah greetings and hi bob like back in the, the early i think in 70 he was making like these weird kind of they were feature films but it was like what <laughs> Yeah. What what are you doing? Yeah. But if it wasn't for those, he wouldn't have met De Niro. Right. You know, so Right, right, right. But but De Palma
0: has a very distinct directing style. Like you said, he's known for certain things like, you know, voyeurism and Oh yes. Um sex and, and you know, lewdness. Mm-hmm. But also like uh like guilt and acceptance. Mm-hmm. And he's definitely known for I won't say style over content, but maybe style as content. Hmm. That's a tough to, one. To, to, to a certain extent.
1: Yeah. Because he's often accused of, like, cinematic gymnastics. Like, right. why are you flipping the camera like this? Right. What are you doing? Right. But the
0: thing about those things,
1: like the camera swirling inside
0: of the uh, the editing room or Z- inside Jack's, uh, 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 Jack's yeah. office. Mm-hmm. Or um, certain other moves that he makes, like he, not unlike we, we pointed this out in the uh, in our playback of uh, the thing. Mm-hmm. Carpenter's camera would move away from uh, a live human subject in its own POV and start wandering down a hall, or, or it would turn and focus on something else. And De Palma does that to great extent in this movie and in most of his movies, where the camera just moves. And goes over here and, and looks out a window or focuses on an object or just does something in and of itself, independent, mm-hmm. as opposed to cap, trying to capture this, you know, quote, humanity in the frame. But he's using the camera to tell the story in every way. Yeah. And a lot of times it's just a one shot. It's not like a cut. Mm-hmm. It's the camera literally turning and panning and not losing focus and then maybe, you know, going to something else. And then he cuts. Yeah. But he's he's known for that, you know, for that, that heavy style and for taking his time with things mm-hmm. uh, and for you know elongating really thrilling suspenseful moments yes. you know like in this particular movie when John Lithgow as the uh as the uh he's kind of the hitter basically for yeah. for the uh the other politician you know when he sneaks in the bathroom and he goes to strangle the, the yeah. prostitute and he's over the wall of the of mm. the stall and the camera looks up at him and she doesn't see him and he almost does it <laughs> and then he stops and pulls back and it's it, it, and, and and that's a De Palma trick. He does yes. that in The Untouchables in the uh in the uh in the bus uh in the train ter- uh, uh terminal or whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And but he he uses that a lot, but he is <coughs> he is an auteur. He is someone who is known specifically for his style, uh somewhat, you know, derivative of, you know, his 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 heroes, some of the Italian directors and sure. specifically Hitchcock. Oh yeah. And De Palma is comes from that new Hollywood crew, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah.
1: Yes. Yes. So that's what uh, Spielberg. Uh, Spielberg, Lucas, uh, Coppola, uh, Scorsese. Um, you can throw a couple of others in there that you might not have thought of. A uh, Paul Schrader. Mm. Um, yeah. There's a oh John Milius. Like it was just a bunch of those USC graduate guys mm-hmm. who got in at the right time, and the studio said man, the industry is in the dumps. Right. Here's some money, do something. Right. And it just happened that they did something and made profits for the studios. Mm -hmm. And it really got to the point to where the directors were starting to get enough power to say, I want this. Like they had even more power than the producers. Yeah, like Final Cut. Yeah, exactly. If Mm -hmm. you get Final Cut, that's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So with them getting final cut and then even say over a lot of the aspects of the production, mm-hmm. it really reached the zenith of like these guys are really auteurs. Mm-hmm. Even if someone else writes the script or whatnot, they are auteurs because right. they're controlling the whole aspect right. of the production.
0: Right. You right. Know? Choosing who does the score, the mm-hmm. cinematographer. Uh, you know, how them, you know, probably having an influence on how the movie is, is marketed or when it's released, yeah, and then final cut, you know, like okay, this is it, this is this is the movie, despite what the studio may say, this is the move, this is the movie that I want to present to, you know, to the uh, to the audience, to the public, yeah, you know, as is, um, but yeah, so that was that was that new Hollywood crew, and as far as Travolta,
1: because
0: mm-hmm. I was trying to, th- I was thinking, is this his second or third movie, but he had done. Before this, he had done The Boy in the Plastic Bubble, which was... (laughs) That was the TV movie, right? Yeah, exactly. But he had done Carrie. Yes. He had done Grease. Yes. He had already done Saturday Night Fever. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And maybe one more?
1: Hmm. Post-Saturday Night Fever. I'm trying to think if he... Had anything else? Uh, Saturday Night Fever was in seventy seven. Grease came out after that. Exactly. Grease came out after that. So so post Grease, I don't know. Urban Cowboy came out. Oh, Urban Cowboy. No, it was in eighty. It was in eighty. That was in nineteen eighty. Yeah, it was Urban Cowboy. That was the other one. Okay. So I was thinking
0: because you know Saturday Night Fever comes out. Yeah. You know, and I think he had to kind of fight for that Mm -hmm. because people thought he was just the TV actor, and to put everything obviously in in. In, in context, back in the 70s, nobody, almost nobody went from television to movie star.
1: Very, very, very few. Very,
0: very few. They just, yeah. It just didn't happen. So you really had to fight, you know, like Kurt Russell did. You had to fight to be taken seriously as a film actor because, you know, the producers of these movies in the studios just didn't think you could really hold, the you know, the camera frame in the same way that uh, a Rock Hudson could or a... <laughs> Clint Eastwood could, or whomever, and I and mean, again, Clint Eastwood started in TV, but you know, That's eventually, right. you know, he made it to to films. Yeah, but Travolta successfully made the leap from Welcome Back, Cotter. and I always thought that his character as Tony in in Saturday Night Fever was kind of like a distant cousin to Vinnie Barbarino in a way, <laughs>
1: a Dark Barbarino. <laughs>
0: kind of dumb and kind of you know, kind of dim-witted, you know. But uh but Travolta did it. So by the time this movie comes out, he's pretty much a star. Oh yeah. Yeah, he's a star. But obviously, you know, Grease cer- is a certain kind of film.
1: Yeah,
0: Saturday Night Fever is a certain kind of film, more of an extension of his character as Vinnie Barbarino. Mm-hmm. And Urban Cowboy was definitely sure. a- an opportunity for him to depart from all of that and to do something that was considered a little more serious, you know, with, with Deborah Winger. And I think the same thing with this, where he gets the chance to work with the guy who directed Carrie and who also directed Dress to Kill. Mm-hmm. Um, he's the lead in the movie. Uh, he's in probably almost every scene most oh. almost every scene in the film yes and I mean Travolta is he's good in the part oh yeah he's very good uh, his performance is fantastic he's at, at peak gorgeousness as far as Travolta yeah. goes the long dark curly hair the eyes the eyes the blue eyes that olive tone skin yeah you know that kind of uh, New York swagger
1: and whatnot, not and, and, and the sensitivity too so it's almost like he was the perfect yeah. Star, if you will. Yeah. You know, to to be in this film, in this role. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And funny you bring up sensitivity because that was something that I was struck by in the movie where, mm. again, you know, Travolta's a sound man and he by accident, he ends up uh, recording what he thinks is an assassination attempt on the governor. And it comes out to find out it was an assassination attempt. And the governor was like a presidential mm-hmm. hopeful and the governor's killed. Yes. And so he's thrown into this situation with Nancy Allen, who was in the car with the governor. Mm-hmm. And these other characters, Lithgow, this other politician. Um, and then Dennis Franz as yes. the, uh, the kind of sleazy, ph- yeah. sleazy photographer. You yeah. know, the <laughs> but I was struck by the fact that Travolta's character, Jack, and his relationship with uh, Allen's character, Sally, he kinda likes her, but he's really more drawn into trying to figure this mystery out. Yes. But he does kinda like her and she you know, Nancy Allen's very you know, she's beautiful in the movie and she's playing kind of a, like a kind of like a dim witted kind of a Yeah. Uh uh not a not very smart but really attractive kind of a streetwise person, essentially. Yes. But he likes her and he's attracted to her, but that's not really what's driving him. And and eventually they kind of cross a threshold where you know where she goes into the bus station where she where she ultimately meets her demise or the trains trains no it's, it's at the uh, is at the the, the fire Rally. the the liberty uh, liberty bell yeah uh, uh, thing and he he sends her in with a microphone and he's and he's recording her and but right before she leaves he he says be careful or something like that and he kisses mm-hmm. her but it's not a sexual romantic kiss it's more like a Good luck. A good luck. Yeah. He kisses her on the lips, but it's like a good luck and you get the sense that he's crossed over into really caring about her as a person, which you know, explains, you know, why he was so, you know, messed up at the end when he, like you said, as penance. Yeah. You know, he inserts that screen to live on forever in this
1: Good good screen. It's a good screen. Good good screen. Yeah. Good, good, yeah. Good, good,
0: good screen. But yeah, he what he really did have, you know, give that character some levels and a certain sensitivity mm-hmm. that um you certainly didn't have in, you know, in Tony from uh
1: I, would, I would almost argue since. I mean, he's become a certain type of actor now, right. obviously, as he's gotten older. Right. And even then, post-Blowout, his career just kind of takes a, oh, uh, and post a uh, staying alive. It's just Ugh. like, oh. <laughs> After that, he was almost almost box office poison. Yeah, They they tried to give him some other stuff, and it was like, it's not taking. And then it didn't take until, like, look who's talking of all things.
0: Which was what like your 90, 91? Um, like 89, 90, 89, yeah. 90. Okay. Yeah. So you got to think that Travolta is on the hottest television show in the 70s, Welcome Back Carter late 70s. Yeah. He's in Saturday Night Fever, which is a big movie. Yes. He's in Grease, which is a huge movie. Yes. He's in Urban Cowboy, which wasn't a big movie, but right. it got him a lot of credit for, you know, for being more of a serious actor. Right. And then he does this, which was a flop. I think this movie had like an $18 million budget. And it made, made like 13, 13 or $14 yeah. million. Dollars. It wasn't successful. Mm-hmm. And then, like you said, it is just, he's just eating shit Every pretty much every role after that until we get to look who's talking with Kirstie Alley and uh, Bruce Willis, which is late 80s, early 90s, let's say. And then maybe a few years later, he's still eating shit. And until we finally get to Pulp Fiction in '94, yes, that's when all of a sudden he's back. He's back, baby. <laughs> then you get Phenomenon. <laughs> then you get uh, what
1: did he? What did he, Michael? Michael. Michael Phenomenon. Uh, he, he
0: was in uh, Broken Arrow. Oh, hey, hey,
1: yeah.
0: All right now. All right now. <laughs> hey, man. Broken Arrow was not great. Hey, no, hey. but uh, but I mean, he's a big star <laughs> again. Yes.
1: Uh, he's yeah. a
0: big star again. He's in uh, Taking Pelham One Two Three later on in the in the late two thousands with Denzel mm-hmm. and uh, John uh, Gandolfini, um, and he's steady working pretty much. Even he even plays um, uh, the the lawyer Shapiro in the OJ uh, TV That's show. Right, he
1: sure did. Yeah, You're right. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. So he continued to do things and to really be considered a major star. Like he wasn't buying airplanes before. <laughs> Before that that mid-'90s to late-'90s period, he was not buy an airplane. He didn't have no jets then. Yes. But it's like ever since then, this man got jets. and mm-hmm. A whole still, airport in his Yeah, backyard. it's like Damn. living in the lap of luxury. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just one of those things where if you live long enough or survive long enough in the business, you know, you go from a hero to a zero, back to a hero again. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so, anyway, man. What uh, as far as this movie goes, and obviously because of De Palma's, you know, specific style and his his really uh, grand camera moves, there are a lot of great scenes. Were there oh, any man. any scenes that that stood out to you the most? Because again, this my first time watching it, and I literally had to go back and think, okay, what's because there were so many moments where I was like, oh, that was interesting, well, oh, that man. was cool. What what was that
1: about? You know, oh gosh, gosh, so many. The, the part where uh, the part where Jack Terry goes out <coughs> to to the scene and. The pulpit is a master of these split diopter shots. I love his split diopters. Okay, man.
0: hold on, pause for a second. Go ahead. I was trying to think of what the term was because he and what you mean is is where there is an an object or a figure in the foreground and something in the background and they're both perfectly in focus. Exactly. And there's a there's an unforeseen stitch. Uh huh. So, but that's not how vision works. If you're looking at something in the foreground, you can't focus on something behind it.
1: Yes. Got you. Okay. All right. You know, it also (laughs) reminded me of it reminded me of like uh, like uh, Jim Steranko panels. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Cover book panels. But I loved it when he goes out there and he's you know he has the microphone. He's kind of like scanning the scene a bit. He's picking up like you know it's a split diopter out there of an owl. Cool. Cool. Right. 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 And, And you see. You know, him in the foreground, of course, like catching his ear. Oh, OK, OK, OK. I hear that owl. And OK, then, I, I'm getting that frog. And then he gets the couple over on the bridge talking. Yeah. And they're like,
0: who's that guy over there? What's he doing? Oh, <laughs>
1: like, baby, it'll be OK.
0: No, Lord, I don't want him to see me. I don't want to da, da, da.
1: <laughs> I Man, I love that scene because yeah. it's like, OK, this is what a Foley guy does. Right. So it's, it's that meta part that we were talking about right. earlier. It's letting us know this is what Foley is. But at the same time, he's trying to put together this stuff. You right. know what I'm saying? Right. Another great scene too is as he's fitting, like like he takes the um, pictures that Dennis Franz's character yeah. sold to the tabloid. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's a it's this would never happen. Why would they do that? Yeah. <laughs> how do you break out a frame <laughs> like that? That's real convenient. I was thinking that. Like what? But anyway, for the plot, okay, it worked and it was very smartly done. You know, they have a step by a frame by frame of the car going into <laughs> the, the like, light. like literally. Yes. 40 different shots halfway over the bridge,
0: into the bridge, almost in the water, bumpers in the water, Blue. front quarters in
1: the water, bumpers in the water. Nice
0: ass up <laughs> I'm like okay alright all right.
1: but the way he put that together and then synced it up to the sound right. was you know had it on a movieola and then was syncing the sound up to it I was like yeah. oh that's again another meta piece right? you know I would say the well not the biggest scene but the one that made the most impact of me and when I first saw the piece of the movie the one that made the biggest impact on me is the end where Unfortunately, where um, Sally meets her demise Mm -hmm. and Travolta runs up there, he's trying to get to her and she's reaching out for him. She's like, (laughs) you know, she's way up on top of the the monument or whatever. Yes, against the backdrop of the American flag. Yeah. You know, and it's just like, oh man. Fireworks are going off, there's crowds
0: everywhere, and you see Travolta running slow motion up the stairs trying to get to her. But it's
1: too late. Yeah. And just. This is the part that I saw on cable that years and years and years ago that made me say, I need to see the rest of this movie. I need to see the rest of it Mm -hmm. where he picks her up and cradles her and it's set against this backdrop of the fireworks going off and our music is playing and the camera is turning Mm -hmm. and he doesn't say anything. But you can almost hear him saying, I couldn't save her, kind mm-hmm. of. I couldn't get to her, mm-hmm. you know, and the regret that he has for sending her in there. Right. You know, that one right there, that as a young cinephile, mm-hmm. I must have been like 21 or 22 when I saw just that little part flipping through cable. And I had to backtrack and look at the TV guy to say, "What's this, what's this movie? Oh, damn. Okay, yeah. I need to catch this next time it's on. Yeah. You know, that yeah. one made the biggest impact on me, that scene. Yeah, I, that was one that I had written down as
0: well with the fireworks overhead and the camera kind of coming from below. It was almost like a uh, like a Michael Bay kind of pre-Michael Bay kind of move <laughs> in a way, you know, uh, the way it kind of swirls yeah. or whatever, but. Um, the opening scene outside the window where the peeping tom for the film oh, and, yeah. which was very pervy and you know the girls are you know, naked and dancing and having sex and then
1: It was almost like a parody of those slasher films at the time. Exactly. There was so many of them.
0: Exactly. But that, this was early in that slasher genre. This is eighty one, so mm-hmm. we haven't even gotten into like serious like, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street three and four and <laughs> you know, and all the other, you know, bad versions that kinda came out afterwards. There were a couple of things for me, like, I love the way it was shot, but at the same time, like, when John Lithgow's character mm-hmm. decides in this, you know, some of, these, some of these story points were just rough for me. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to kill Sally,
1: uh-huh.
0: but instead of just killing her, I'm going to kill a bunch of women who look like her and make it think the people think it's a serial killer.
1: Right. Why would you do that? Just kill Sally. Yes, but it it almost has, and it's not intentional, of course, but it has, like, overtones of, like, later in Terminator, the first Terminator. I'm just going to just kill every Sarah Connor. You know what I'm saying? I guess. And and, and at that point, yes, you do have to be like, okay, all right. But the the first woman that he abducts
0: from a bus stop in front of a full bus full of people, he just puts his hand over her mouth and then backs her behind a fence. And I'm like, did nobody see this? Man. And then later on, when he gets Sally and he brings her to the uh, to the Liberty Bell, Bell Liberty Bell Festival, and there are hundreds of people around and fireworks and everything. People are you know running and dra- drinking and laughing and whatever partying, and he's he's got his hand over her mouth and he's dragging her up the stairs, and people are running by and I'm like, so apparently in the late seventies and the early eighties. You could just drag a chick off into the into whatever, and people just didn't notice. They just didn't even see it. It was just like, huh? You know.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Anyway, but um, but and then even the fact that again, this is just you know, my brain was like, wait a minute, what now? Uh-huh. So he shoots out the tire of the governor's car. Yeah, and the governor and Sally are in the car, and the car skids off the road, goes off into the into the creek. Yeah, the governor drowns, and Jack dives into the creek and saves Sally. Right. Okay. Then they tow the car out to the garage. None of the investigators looked at the tires. None of them checked, oh, it was a blowout. None of them confirmed any of that. The Mm. car's just sitting there for days, and then Lithgow's character breaks in and changes the tire and puts a new tire on. (laughs) Was it the same? Was it a good year? Was it another Dunlop? I mean, what, what was it? Anyway, stuff like that. But again, as style, as content goes, I was just so caught up in in the movement of the film. It was brisk. Mm-hmm. I liked the characters. I liked Jack. I liked the actor who played the uh the police detective who was investigating the uh, the governor's uh death. Yeah. Um I liked Sally. I liked Dennis Franz's character who shows up later on in um uh Dress to Kill as well yeah. and Body Double, I think. Yes. Um, and then, and Nancy Allen, of course, was in Carrie, and she was in yeah. Just
1: to Kill. Because at the time, she was the Palmer's wife. As she, well.
0: Oh, that's right, right. She yeah. was married to him. So, it was, okay, uh, like, of course, you're all right. <laughs> and of course, you got to give your, your wife a job.
1: <laughs>
0: but, um, but I, I, but just his camera moves in general, and, mm. and just the look and feel of the movie. So, like I said, some of the music kind of threw me off in places, but I loved it, man. And and some of the overhead shots, you know, the the shot over uh, Jack's studio. You see all he's pulled out all these tapes. All my tapes have been erased. It's like, okay.
1: That right there, that move, and you mentioned it yeah. earlier, mm-hmm. where it's going around mm-hmm. and around, almost like a reel to reel itself, mm-hmm. as the mania overcomes Jack that mm-hmm. all my tapes are erased. Mm-hmm. Somebody's been here and erased all my tapes. My whole libraries are gone. Right. For what? Right, right. You know, now I'll be honest now as a
0: former recording engineer. I don't know how you would ever accomplish that. <laughs> how you would erase all the tapes? You'd have to come in with a big the ass magnet. magnet and just.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> but but nonetheless, I mean, it was it was it was well paced, uh, well cast. I like the interaction with the characters, um, and this movie represents that. Um, really, that. Again, it came out in eighty one, but it feels like that seventies conspiracy thriller.
1: Yes, you know mm-hmm. what I
0: mean. We talked about a few of them, uh, yeah, in text. Yeah, you know, like the the
1: Parallax View. Parallax View. I would say the Parallax Man. My right. bad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, uh, what was it? A Marathon Man? Mm-hmm. Uh, Three Days in the Condor? Like all of those post all Watergate? The men. Yeah, yeah. Like all those post Watergate films where it was like, okay everyone is convinced like there's some type of conspiracy mm-hmm. with the government, you know, and it, the, the country is in the, is in the, the thresholds in no, that threshold of it is in the, um, you know,
0: Set a point of, of doubt and and, yeah. and and not being uh 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 not having belief in the leaders and, and in the uh the, the leadership of the company exactly
1: the yeah and it's fun, it's interesting how a lot of those films like that always focus on one man on the run he may know the truth he may have discovered the truth mm-hmm. or inadvertently he doesn't know a thing but these higher powers that he does. Right. And so they're after him. Right. You know? Right. Or in some cases, you know, it could be a
0: situation where the character doesn't know why they're after him or, or her, but the powers that be know. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. We know that you're the link to X, Y, and Z or you're related to X, Y, and Z or somebody left something with you that you don't know about and we've got to get it back and we will kill as many people as we have to and we will run over as many innocents as we have to yeah. in order to achieve our ends. And that was kind of maybe the uh, the attitude post Watergate is that okay these people feel like they are above the law, and that we are all pawns in in a, in a bigger on a big chessboard that they
1: control. And it's interesting because that's exactly how Nixon thought. Yeah. But unfortunately, unfortunately, he yeah. got his right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. I have
0: always thought, and I used to get these two movies confused, but I have always considered. Again before actually seeing it all the way through right. blow out to kind of be like the cousin to the conversation.
1: Hmm, because yes, two experts, mm-hmm. both of them are experts in their field, mm-hmm. and there's a similar thing that happens to um
0: Gene Hackman.
1: As, yeah, Gene Hackman. It's like his his office or something like that, like mm-hmm. he tears up in fact he tears up his own office. He does, yeah. Because he thinks it's bugged. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Whereas with Jack Terry Someone has come in and erased all of his libraries. You right, know what I'm saying? Right. And both of them deal with sound. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, exactly. And exactly. it's just interesting how that's the correlation, but also that, 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 that them being experts in their fields mm-hmm. and, you know, the type of uh, um, um, plot that they're in, they're, mm-hmm. they're involved in. Right, right, right. And in, in Travolta's character is much
0: more... Uh, He's much more of an everyman. He's an expert in his field. He's he's, a, uh, he's he's definitely a professional, but he's more of an everyman and a little more of charismatic, obviously, than Gene Hackman. Gene Hackman is seen as kind of like the nerdy expert, mm-hmm. who's you know maybe doesn't have all the all the greatest social skills in the world, but I always since considered those two movies to be connected. And weirdly enough, you know the people who uh, the critics who have uh, followed Hackman's career will kind of point to not that it's as good, as good a movie or in the same league, but his role in Enemy of the State is kind of being like that same guy only maybe 20-some-odd or yeah, 30 years later. Yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. You know, uh, he's still got microphones. He's still, you know, living under the radar and, you know, and off the grid and, um, you know, and still kind of, you know, is that person who's kind mm, of like working behind the scenes. I can see that, yeah. Uh, so to speak. But I didn't remember this until I looked it up, but Nancy Allen was in RoboCop. Yes, she was. She was, Lewis, she was the She was the 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 partner in Robocop. That's yo. right.
1: That's right. He's yeah. like, come on, Murph. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I was like, oh man, but it's like you know all the and she's had a pretty, pretty steady career from if you look at her uh, her IMDb. hmm Uh, mm-hmm. she's she's definitely worked uh, consistently other thrillers that kind of came along after and like you said you know those were all kind of those those the 70s yes conspiracy vibes you know um also the Kremlin letter i don't know if you've ever seen that uh, i think it's John Houston hey,
1: john Houston was still making movies then well Oh, yeah, because he made, like, 73
0: 73, I think it was. Okay, okay. Um, I've never seen it all the way through, but I've seen I've seen uh, a piece of it. Mm-hmm. And then Day of the Jackal. Yes, of course. You're right. And The China Syndrome, <laughs> yeah. you know, which I think was 79 right before uh-huh. going into 80. But then you get into the 80s where, you're, and the 90s where you get into, like we said earlier, like glossier production, yes. bigger stars, put a big name on the poster and make them the center of the thing or whatever, and people will flock to it. Mm-hmm. Directing styles are becoming a little less individualistic and a little more very very you know, appealing to the populist yeah. or the popcorn audience member. Mm-hmm. But still, some great ones. You got, uh, and we're probably going to do this on the show eventually. The Star Chamber, yes, with Michael Douglas. Uh, Absence of Malice,
1: yeah.
0: Uh, Body Double, which is of course later on was another <laughs> De Palma. Uh, Fifty Two Pickup, which is one of my favorites. I gotta check that out. Fifty Two yeah. Pickup. Uh, And then later in the 90s and the 2000s, you get like Aaron Brockovich, Mm -hmm. Enemy of the State, which we mentioned. The Pelican Brief.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. Which has
0: Lithgow in it as well. Uh, (laughs) Remember, he plays uh, Denzel's editor at the uh, newspaper. Oh, man, okay. (laughs) Uh, Pelican Brief, The Firm. The the Firm, to me, is absolutely, what, 90-something, early 90s? 93. 93. But it definitely is doing 70s. Mm. To me, in terms of the tension, and in terms of, because there are no action scenes really. I mean, the most action you get is Tom Cruise running around in a trench coat with a with an attaché case beating the shit out of Wilford right. Brimley, yo. <laughs> <laughs> but what are some what are some of your other favorite thrillers? Maybe I guess Sorcerer is really a crime movie it's not really it's a, a, crime, it's a crime thriller movie, i guess What?
1: it's a survival thriller right but it's a jungle movie right it's it's crazy how it sways as much as the bridge that's in sorcerer <laughs> <laughs> you <know>?
0: okay
1: nice <laughs> but yeah that's a good one man um i was gonna make mention of the 90s kind of brings about this whole spate of like domestic thrillers right you know i don't know what it is in yep. the 90s they were like several high-profile domestic cases, you know, like, you know, uh, Lorena Bobbitt, you know, doing the thing to John Wayne Bobbitt, you know, and, mm-hmm. you know, O.J. Simpson. Just things like that where these domestic issues are coming to the fore in a big way. So you have movies that kind of reflect that. Right. Like, The Hand That Rocks the Cradle, mm-hmm. you know. How how much mileage can you get from an evil nanny trying to take over But this they family? did it, yo. Rebecca
0: DeMornay was bringing it, dog. She was
1: hot. Yes. But, I saw that in the movies. My mom, I as too. always, I yeah. yeah yo, I think I, Christine.
0: I saw that as uh, on a on a date.
1: Yeah, and yeah. just being like, "Hey, this is actually pretty good." Yeah, God, at least. Yeah. And there was another one around that. Oh, sleeping with the enemy, mm-hmm. where it's like, "Oh man, she's trying to get out of this abusive relationship, mm-hmm. and he's after her." Yeah, you know. And there's a whole string of movies like that that I almost call like big budget lifetime movies. You know, like if they were on the Lifetime channel, that th- those would be the plots. But they said instead, let's make big budget movies out of those. Yeah, and for the for the entirety of the decade, they worked.
0: No, uh, well, the firm obviously, but you've got um, as far as that goes. Sleeping with the Enemy, Double Jeopardy, mm-hmm. with uh, Tommy Lee and uh, Ashley Judd. Oh,
1: Ashley Judd is in all of them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs>
0: you've got uh, not absence of malice, but malice.
1: Yes, with mm-hmm.
0: uh, Nicole Kidman and uh, Bill Pullman.
1: Yes, mm-hmm. and
0: Alec Baldwin. Yes. And there's there are others. Even it's not. I wouldn't consider this so, but even um. Point of No Return mm, with okay. Bridget Fonda, which is a remake of the film Nikita. Yeah, but it has elements of that domestic thriller where she's trying to have this life with this boyfriend. And there were always in all those in all in that era, there was a whole thing of when it's a female who is the protagonist in the movie. She's the star of the movie, like Julia Roberts. Yeah, or Bridget Fonda. Their love interest has to be some Richard Marks-looking white dude with the long mullet haircut. <laughs> yeah. and he's sensitive, yeah, and, yeah. you know, and, and it, they all kind of had looked look the same, and, they, and they're going to get their ass kicked. Right. You know they're going to get their ass kicked. Right. Because she's got to save the day. She's got to be... You know, sort of the final girl who puts down, you know, whoever the uh, Uh the uh, the villain is or the uh, the enemy and sleeping with the enemy is. But but but, You know,
1: speaking of Bridget Fonda, you know, you also got to consider like single white female. Right, right, right,
0: right, right. And I would consider um, single white female and the hand that rocks the cradle to be uh, what's called known as the blank from hell movies. (laughs) You know, the hand that rocks the cradle is the nanny, nanny from, from hell. Yeah. Sing white <laughs> female is the roommate from hell. Yeah. You know, uh, Fatal Attraction is the uh, the adulterous affair from hell.
1: That's the other <laughs> one I was trying to think of as far as, that, that's the that's, foreman. That's,
0: that's, yeah. that's the progenitor of all of these. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, wait a minute. And then later on you get like um,
1: Unfaithful with mm-hmm. uh, Diane
0: Lane and uh, and Richard Gere.
1: Yes. Um, and then, uh, then later on in the 2000s, A Perfect Murder. Oh, with Caltro uh, 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 and Michael Douglas. Michael Douglas yeah. Where they gave away the whole plot in the trailer, right? It was
0: like, man, come on, yeah, yeah. What do you think happened to the modern thriller? Because I have a, I have a theory, but what do you think happened to the modern thriller?
1: I think it got replaced by people. I'd say the audience just doesn't have the patience for it. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is. It's just in terms of when we were coming up, it seemed like. Movies ran about feature length 90 minutes, and in that 90 minutes, that was enough time to get a good thriller in. Mm-hmm. In terms of you had enough plot, it was well paced enough, mm-hmm. you know, and people were willing to sit and watch the movie develop, watch the characters develop to obviously the climax in the third act. That was the thriller, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? And mm-hmm. along the way. Whereas now, it's just like, people just don't have the patience for it. Do you I mean, think it's really that? Or do you think that the
0: studios have diverted their attention from making those kinds of movies? Because these are like, you know, Blowout. You know, the you know who what we're discussing today. Blowout is a $18 million movie. You mm. know, by today's standards, that'd probably be like $50 million. Yeah. They don't make $50 million movies for... And, and these are movies for adults, too. Mm. So these are, you know, if 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 a kids movie that appeals to people from the ages of eight to in, into their thirties and forties, if that's a four quadrant movie, yeah, then this is a one quadrant movie. This is for adults over the age of eighteen. Probably not for for your parents because your parents are like, oh, it's too sexy, oh, it's too violent. Mm-hmm. Oh, did he just stab her in the cooch? Oh my god, you yeah. know.
1: <laughs> so
0: you know what I'm saying? I yeah. think the studios diverted their attention to superhero movies. Mm-hmm. Big budget IP movies, franchise movies, uh, things that are established. You know, these are all movies. This is this is an auteur. This is somebody who wrote a script, took it to a studio or to producers, got the money to make it, made it, and and then it got distributed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And now you know it's like how many how many spec scripts get purchased in Hollywood? How many? Original IPs come out, not many. Yeah, that's what I'm saying.
1: Mm-mm.
0: Not many. Very, very. Few. You know, I mean, that's one of the things about John Wick that's so interesting is it's an original action movie idea.
1: Mm-hmm. It's
0: not based on a book. It's not based on any kind of a previous IP. It was just somebody wrote a script about a guy who's a hitman, and it, you know, it caught on. You know, mm-hmm. same thing with Taken. Yeah. You know, that was an original idea. That actually might have been based on something else.
1: It probably was. Yeah. It probably was. So
0: and to be honest, I didn't to say this, this is De Palma's script, but it is slightly adapted from uh a movie that came out about fifteen years earlier.
1: Called Blow up. Blow up. Blow up, yeah. Antonini. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm.
0: So he did kind of it was that was photography. This is a sound man, but it was
1: same thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah.
0: So but I think that's kind of what happened. I think the other thing, too, and this is funny, but the modern thriller, mm-hmm. it really, it went to, like, black filmmakers, yo. You know, <laughs> all, there's so many black modern thrillers, yes. you know, yes.
1: with Beyonce and Michael Ely yes. and, uh. <laughs> Michael Ely is the king, yo. He's the king of them shits. <laughs> Michael Ely and, uh, Idris yes. and, uh. <laughs> Uh, uh uh Omar Epps and I Sana Lathan it, I saw the trailer for the one you were talking about Omar Epps is like it always starts with like everybody's black professionals hey man how hey, you doing hey what's up man? bro yeah we bro. all doing
0: good exactly. and then you find out somebody had mental illness yeah. or something in their background
1: <laughs> and then it just flips the script and changes right you, I wanted you I want it's always something with the black is about you was mine I wanted you yeah. <laughs> And you
0: always, the, like, the the person who's being stalked goes and talks to some some teacher or professor or yeah. some childhood friend. Yeah, and then he just went the fuck off one day. He was never the same after that. Yeah. They think he actually killed his sister. Oh.
1: <laughs> Insert in, in of, like, whoever the stalker is coming from around the corner looking yeah. all crazy. Yep.
0: Doom. Yep. Doom. <laughs> the, the last one that I, and I say saw it, my wife... Yeah. Uh, she may have been watching it, but it was it was on cable. Uh-huh. We still were the, one of the last holdouts of having cable. Uh-huh. It was on cable, and it was with Michael Ealy. Mm-hmm. I forget who his wife, who the actor was, was playing his wife, but uh, Hillary Swank played a detective that he had an affair with uh-huh. in Vegas. Yeah, and then he kind of like ghosts her, and then. Uh, Oh, and Michael Coulter is in. He plays his business partner. Michael Coulter's having an affair with Ely's wife.
1: Oh, no. And
0: breaks in to kill Ely and steal something from the house. Uh huh. And then the detective that Ely had the affair with, Hillary Swank, she shows up on the investigation and she's basically like uh, Glenn Close and Fatal Attraction. <laughs> oh, no. And Jennifer Jason Lee and Single White Female. She's like, oh, I will not be ignored. I will not be ignored, Dan. <laughs> but. It's it was it's it's not great. Oh, man. you know, Vivica Fox has done them. Oh, yes. You know, all, I mean, they, they they've all done yes. Them. But the one with Ely and Hillary Swank, I gotta say, I don't know if you ever observe yo.
1: Hillary Swank has a pretty nice little figure, yo. Really? I would, cause oh, yeah, I think of as you know like the next Karate Kid. That's well, when I think of Hillary Swank, I'm I, like. I, the next Karate Kid. Um. well, she
0: was a girl in that, and obviously yeah. she was playing uh, the uh, Melper's Ing lesbian character in the uh, Boys Don't Cry. The Boys Don't Cry. Yeah. Boys Don't Cry. Yeah, but I'm gonna send you a couple of shots that I've seen of her, and I was like, okay, swank. All right, I feel you. All right, and she was she was down for the duty with uh with Ely. She was she was she was getting it in.
1: All right, all right. Ely so, Ely uh, has that as the impact on the ladies. <laughs> he does. <laughs> he does.
0: <laughs> he does. But um, but yeah, man. As far as blowout goes, man, I am really glad that I, I took took the time to check it out, and now I kind of feel like it's officially in my De Palma yes. canon. You know, as far as uh, uh films, you know, I see now why, even though it wasn't a big success in the theater, I see why you know folks like yourself and and, and other people see it as a real classic. And didn't they do a Criterion version?
1: Yes. Do you have it? I sure do. How is it? uh, It's good. In fact, both discs discs are great. Of note on there, if you ever get it, um, there is an interview that Noah Emmerich um, does with him. Mm -hmm. It's a long interview with the Palma. It's just the two of them sitting there, Q&A. And the Palma, he has no qualms, none about saying, yes, I did this because this related to my childhood. You know, he's just matter of fact about it. Really? Yes. I like to follow women around. You know, I like to see where women go. Really?
0: He says that.
1: Yes. He's like, you know, oh, my God, <laughs> Like just the voyeurism it's it's intentional. You know what I'm saying? He's just like and, and, and he relates it perfectly to his childhood and everything. And again, he has no problems with it. And it's like, oh, so you kind of find your face. You kind of do like that. That face where you you find out something about what are your boys here mean to, and you was like, oh, <laughs> oh uh, okay, uh, oh, oh, for real, dog? Yeah, exactly. Word? Like that's how. I, oh, oh, shit. Say less, fam. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs>